2: What a world, what a life, what a day, Saturday, September 24, 2022, a consequential week. I was in a murder trial all week, Denver District Courtroom 5E. Before we get to that, in the conviction of Michael Close for the killing of Isabella Thallis and the horrible wounding of Darian Simon, my client, Let's just acknowledge that other big events happened this week. Three big powers going down. It's only a question of time. The mullahs of Iran with their morality police killing women in their custody can't be having that morality police. Is that what we are going to have in America? I hope not. Vladimir Putin has a totalitarian society. A lot of people want to flee because he's a madman and he has something on our prior president who still is in charge of the gop best i can tell all three of those groups are going down putinism trump and the mullahs of iran it's just a question of time michael close was convicted of all the charges against him first degree murder attempted first degree murder After deliberation, with extreme indifference, it was a powerful trial, a simple trial. What Michael Close did on June 10, 2020 was indefensible, and he really got no defense. They said insanity, but the only doctor who testified said, this guy was just angry, mean, raging, depressed, upset about COVID. Who wasn't back then? But this guy took an AK-47. An AK-47 in a dense part of downtown Denver, the ballpark area, and he shot my client. He shot Dad Isabella Thalas, who was one of the most beautiful human beings ever. Her family was there. Her beautiful sister, Sia, her mama, Anna, her dad, Josh. I feel so bad for this family, but they were all there, so strong at that trial, along with Darian's family. And Darian, my gosh, you never saw a better witness, except maybe for the guy who followed him, Jake Pucci. Colorado hero, the star of our show today. After he testified, I walked out after him and I introduced myself. I never had met him. I just want to shake your hand, sir, is what I told him. And my goodness, he graces us with his appearance on the podcast. And now, at last, I can play for you the deposition testimony of Dan Politica. Dan Politica, the former Denver police sergeant who had his AK-47 in the hands of his close friend, Michael Close, and we are led to believe that it was stolen. And you will hear that story because I've got the sound. And is it true? I don't know. I don't think Dan Politica wanted Darian Simon or Isabella Thalas hurt, and I do think he was devastated to find out what Michael Close did with that weapon. Politica has not purchased another weapon since, but he had so many back then that he lost track of them, and the story goes that out in our bed at Michael Close, who lived with Politica, just happened to grab one of the guns without telling Dan Politica. Now there's a new law in Colorado, it's a good one. that You have to report your gun stolen, but wait till you hear the circumstances. Sergeant Politica says he was misled by Denver police who called it an AR-15 when it was an AK-47, and it was a long time before anybody got those facts straight. And isn't it interesting that during those fiery times, the George Floyd protests, Black Lives Matter, downtown Denver really in danger. What would have happened if we all learned that an African-American guy, Darian Simon, was shot by a white guy, Isabella Thales of Hispanic, Greek, Sparta Jew, ethnicity. What a beautiful blend she was. Anyway, they were two people of color. Did color have anything to do with it? I don't know. I asked Dan Politica about that. I kept my ears open during the trial, but the prosecution just wanted to put forth a simple case, and it was a man upset for a lot of reasons. His lot in life, his dog had been allegedly attacked by some other dogs at a dog park. had nothing to do with Isabella or Darian or their dog, Rocco, who they were trying to coax to relieve himself because he'd been a little constipated during the pandemic when we were all in lockdown. It was tough. And Darian was talking to his dog when Michael Close took offense because he was close to the window and he opened up his window fast, saw these people of color with their dog, flashed on his bad incident with his own dog, his breakup with his girlfriend the night before, his loss of jobs, etc. And when... Darian just responded, "Hey man, I know how to take care of my dog. Mind your own business." The guy went and got a gun, loaded it. He got the gun that belonged to a Denver police sergeant, loaded it. He came out shooting twenty-four times with an assault weapon, which were illegal in Denver, Colorado. And those bullets tore through Isabella, killed her instantly right through her aorta. Thank God she didn't suffer. But my God, what a loss, this beautiful woman. And then Darian, who witnessed the murder of his beloved. He tried to get away, but there's no getting away. This guy leaned out the window, broke out the screen, started shooting. He wanted to kill. It could have killed so many more people in that densely packed area. And oh my God, Jake Pucci comes to the rescue. You're about to hear that. He saves Darian's life when everybody else was afraid. The police wouldn't come close. They thought it was an active shooter. So did the paramedics. Darian was bleeding out, and he would have. But for this hero, and he talked to me, he talks to you. And you will hear from Dan Politicat. This is one of the best episodes ever. Our troubadour brings up the rear of the show with falling rain because so many tears fell in that courtroom this week. But some were tears of relief. That scumbag Michael Close, he cried at the end for himself. He didn't cry when he saw the bullet holes. And, oh, my God, there was an RTD dash cam that captured the moments when Bella was slaughtered. This beautiful girl, 21 years old, Cherry Creek High, where my boy just graduated. Oh, my God. And to know the family is to love them. And let me tell you that I was honored to handle the civil case in Josh Maxmon and Mark Bryan, other lawyers for the Dallas family. We went after Michael Close and Dan Politica and Tyrant Arms, the company that he started to sell guns. You'll hear that story in this episode. And we got some relief because the story the Politica tells about the AK-47 being stolen from his Arvada home because he didn't have it stored well, and that was negligent. And his homeowner's insurance provided some money, but we wanted answers too, and we got them from Dan Politica, and you will hear them as well. He's left the department. There were some reports he's working at another Colorado Department. I don't think that's true, but I haven't followed him closely. We know he moved to a southern state and we found him. We served him, and you get to hear the deposition. But first, hear a Colorado hero, an amazing man. His name is Jake Pucci. After Jake, we're going to play you Sound of the Politica Deposition. After that, I'm going to bring on LB Siegel from the Denver Press Club. He's the executive director. They are honoring Allenberg, who was also mowed down by a hateful group with an assault weapon. Bruce Spears was that trigger man, and he died in prison, as Michael Close should do. You can't bring assault weapons to kill beautiful people. Isabella Thales Allenberg, he's going in the Hall of Fame. So is Mike Litwin, who's been a good guest on this show and Kathy Walsh, others as well. But the controversial call is Alan Burke. I think he should be in there. But I question Peter Boyle's participation. I have a lot of episodes on Peter Boyle's. I have a lot of episodes on honoring Bella. You can go back. The Bella shows are like 44 and 45. But as for Boyle's and Berg, I've tried to figure out that relationship. and I put on... Judith Berg, go to that episode. Joe O'Day was on as well. And Judith Berg talked about an unbelievable slur thrown at her by Peter Boyles. I know Judith Berg was with Alan on the last night of his life, and they were close. And Peter Boyles with Alan Berg, I don't know. I didn't witness the relationship. But what he called Judith Berg? Despicable. Bigoted. I don't like it. I don't like him participating in the Allenberg induction. But it doesn't matter what I like, because I'm not running that organization, but I got to talk to the people who are, and you get to hear it as well. This is an action-packed show. First, we start with the Colorado hero, Jake Pucci. Then we follow up with Politica deposition. You can judge Dan Politica, former Denver police sergeant for yourself. Then you can hear from Albie Siegel. And then Dave Gunders, our troubadour with Falling Rain. Now that's an action packed show. After this break, enjoy Colorado hero, Jake Pucci. llc.com
3: now back to the Fred
2: Silverman Show hey being a lawyer is a matter of judgment you have to know the law, the facts but good judgment is essential if you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name then I question your judgment, I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump if you want a lawyer like that Instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig, 303-734-7156, 303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims.
4: Hey, good afternoon, Craig.
2: Hey, Jake. Thanks so much for doing my podcast. I really appreciate it.
3: Yeah, of course. I was listening to one of the episodes you sent me. It was really good with uh, Bella's father.
2: Thank you so much. But I am the guy who is thrilled because I don't get to talk to a hero every week, but this week with you I do. I listened to your testimony in the trial of Michael Close for the murder of Isabella Thales, the grievous wounding of Darian Simon, and you took that witness stand, and you blew me away, Jake Pucci. I'm so proud of you, and I never even met you until the other day. So th- oh, I just want to say thank you to you.
3: Yeah, thank you so much. That's so nice. Uh, I'm happy you think that because I was incredibly nervous. That was my first time ever being a part of a trial, and let alone one of that magnitude. And holy cow. <laughs> that was. You know what? Was, yeah. you,
2: you didn't show it. And the main thing is you didn't show it on June 10, 2020, when you saved my client's life. And we'll get around to Darian Simon, my client whose life you saved. Oh, my God, what a great man Darian Simon is. But you are the great man who saved his life. And I would have been so nervous if I was on the phone with my dad, and all of a sudden I saw out my window what you saw. So you're not the nervous type for me, Jake. Can you just tell everybody (laughs) what you did that late morning of a hot uh, Denver Day ballpark area? Where were you living at the time?
3: Yes, sir. Um, So like you said, it was uh, the ballpark neighborhood. It's over off, what, Chestnut and 20th is around the area. Um, how far from time, how
2: far from that King Supers downtown? People know kind of where that is.
3: Yeah, uh, it's across the twentieth uh, north. It's maybe maybe two hundred yards from the King Supers.
2: Okay, we're talking about some pretty dense urban housing, right? Lofts, apartments, everything. Oh but yeah, that, that very whole neighborhood dense, yes. used
3: to be just uh, like you know just little rock parking lots for Rockies games. But I feel like in the last six years, it's been heavily developed in some very, very dense urban apartments.
2: Right. And you were one of the people living there. What kind of a unit did you have? Was it on the ground floor or what?
3: Yeah. um, So I was in the building called Griffiths North Union, I believe is the the company. Um, I was in a two bedroom at the time with a roommate. We were both... uh, pretty new out of college at the time. We were on the fifth floor, which is the top floor. And we had the corner unit, um, which faced the alley where the whole incident happened.
2: And let's back up a little bit. I understand you went to CSU, but before that you went to Cherry Creek. Is that right?
3: Yeah, that's correct.
2: A local hero. How great is that?
3: Yeah. Yeah, born, Born and raised in Colorado. Been here my whole life.
2: God bless you. Keep going. You're on the fifth floor. And what did you see that terrible morning?
3: Um, Yeah. So like you said, I was on I I didn't have work that day, which is rare for, you know, a Wednesday, middle of the week. Um, I was on the phone with my father about just plans we were making that day. We had to do some stuff for work. Um, And yeah, while I'm talking to him, I just am looking out the window, enjoying some coffee and a late morning and Next thing I know, I just see Darian running and screaming, and he, he runs through a little gap in the, in the chicken wire fence, and I hear gunshots, uh, a lot of gunshots, and as he's running, the, the concrete around his feet is kind of exploding from bullets hitting it, and uh, the buildings around him are all also like getting hit by bullets and having ricochets and concrete exploding. Um, yeah. And then, and then I saw Darian get shot. Um, he kind of fell forward and screamed, fell to the ground and was just screaming for help. And the gunshots kept going a little bit.
2: Did your father hear the shots? Uh,
3: yeah, yeah, he did. I, I forgot at that moment already. I already forgot I was on the phone. Um, he did through the phone call. He was like, what the hell was that? And all I could say was just like, Hey dad, uh, someone just got shot. I gotta go. And I kind of hung up and threw my coffee <laughs> threw my coffee down and and ran out of my apartment
2: you know some people would have gotten into their closet and hit and you ran down wire from five floors up relative safety where were you going
3: um yeah no so I, I saw Darian get shots and I just hearing him cry for help was like just I, I don't know. It was instinctual. Something about that just reached into me, and I kind of mentally blacked out. and just was all I was thinking was I have to get to him. And, yeah, I ran out of my apartment, tried to call 911, but I, I believe I lost signal within my building and ran out to the street to try to get to him as quickly as I could.
2: And were you the first one to get to him?
3: Um, I believe so, I think. When the trial came about, I had to go review some security footage that I didn't know existed. And there was actually a uh, construction worker, a woman. She tried to get near him, but I believe Darian's dog, I think his name's Rocco. Yes. He, he actually kept her away, which was amazing to see. Um, but yeah, really shortly after that, I was there. And yeah, I just, previous to this in December of nineteen. I'd gotten an EMT certification. So when I got down to Darien, I just, you know, uh, training and instincts took over. And I just saw all this blood coming out of him. And I was like, I got to stop that somehow.
2: Oh, my God. And he was awake and you are there providing aid. And then you enlisted other people to help you with the task. I mean, most of us would have been too frightened. And then if we did get there, a lot of us would not know what to do thank God for your training. It came in perfectly and you took command. You started telling other people what to do. Tell us what happened next.
3: Uh, Yeah. Um, yeah, it was the training, but I mean, honestly, again, the adrenaline, I kind of just like blocked out any of the potential danger. I wasn't even thinking about it. I just was, uh, seeing Darian needing help. So when I got to him, uh, I started just kind of talking to him a little bit. Of course, he was screaming and freaking out as like as anyone would be. Um, I just was like, what's your name? What's going on? And as as I was asking him these questions, I was just kind of, you know, moving his clothes around, trying to find any gunshots and any injuries. And, yeah, I found that he was shot twice, uh, one of which one of the bullets went through his leg and completely Destroyed his femur, and severed severed his femoral artery, um, and that wound was bleeding like a stuck pig, just pouring out blood. Um, so immediately, I just knew like pressure pressure stops bleeding. So, <laughs> unfortunately for Darian, I put as much of my weight as I could on that wound, trying to stop it. And uh, yeah, at this point, a couple other people started to kind of come into the alley where this was all happening. Um, I was kind of talking with them, like, does anyone have any medical training? No one there really was in the right state of mind. Like, I think it's just to to, to stumble upon what had just happened was just so shocking for everyone that I think a lot of people were just kind of speechless and in awe. Um, and then, luckily, there was a construction worker nearby who had a belt. And I asked, hey, man, I'm going to need your belt. So I took his belt. And I wrapped it around Darian's leg and tried my best to make a tourniquet with it. And another construction worker, a woman, had sort of a scarf shawl neck thing. <laughs> and she handed me that and some napkins. And I used those to also, as like a makeshift bandage, to just put on his bullet holes and apply more pressure and just try to stop more bleeding. Um Yeah, I was just kind of there for a minute, just reminding Darian that, hey, help is on the way. You're not going to die right now. Um, You know, I've got you. We're going to be all right. Help is on the way. And, uh, yeah, then, I don't know, a couple minutes went by and a woman came around the corner of the alley and she was wearing scrubs and had a mask on and looked like someone who would work in a hospital. And the same thing, I was like, oh, hey, do you have any medical training? Can you help me out? And again, she was just kind of speechless and just stumbled into this scene. Um, so I was like, okay, you come here. I'm, we're going to stop this man's bleeding. I'm going to take your hands and put him on these wounds, and we're going to apply as much pressure as we can as long as we can. And, yep, sure enough, she was thankfully helping me, and together she and I were stopping the bleeding.
2: And you saved Darian's life. You as the captain of this ship. And oh my God, let me just set the stage. Because this was June 10, 2020. It's the pandemic. It's the lockdown. People were in their units for the most part. And when this happened, uh, Darian and Bella were just taking Rocco for a walk He'd been constipated. Darian was urging him to go poop. It happened to be outside the window of Michael Close, not on his property, but it's just an urban common ground. And uh, this guy who was irritated about a host of things unrelated to anything having to do with Darian or Bella, he quickly opened his window and started talking trash to Darian about the way he was talking to his dog. And Darian... Sweet soul that he is, he responded in a nice way, but he saw the evil in this man's eye, who was pissed off at the world. And when Darien did ask the man to mind his own business, the guy went and got uh, an AK 47 that he got from a Denver uh, cop. That's another story. But the bottom line is he started shooting it right away. He loaded it, He he started firing killed Isabella right away. Isabella who had done nothing to this man. Darien had done nothing to this man. And yet Darian got hunted like an animal and he fired off 24 rounds, 24 rounds out of that AK-47 and it terrorized all of downtown. People uh, stayed in their units. Denver police stayed back. They called out an active shooter paramedics were afraid to go to the scene because their training says, don't put your own life at risk. But there's one guy, Jake Pucci, who knew that training, and yet you did it anyway. My God, what a hero you are. Thank you. Thank you so much. I I mean, uh, w- 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 looking back, didn't you think, I'm going to get shot? I mean, you just saw, you you witnessed the war scene before you stepped into it.
3: Yeah, I mean, looking back, that's certainly a a thought I have often. It's just like, oh, man, I didn't even think that, like, this man could be reloading. This man could be taking a new position. This man could be coming out of his apartment. I, like I said, I don't know. I just didn't think, which is But but, but you know what? You you had
2: to know you're a smart guy. You had to know that this guy was specifically targeting Darian Simon. That's what it had to appear to you. Uh, Darien was running, and the, you saw the guy aim at Darian and shoot him, and yet you went to the very spot of this man's intended target. And one of the reasons he wanted to kill Darien, and this was brought out at the trial, because Darien had just witnessed the murder of Isabella, and believe me, criminals want to get away with murder, so he was going to kill the eyewitness, and then you might have been next. Have you thought about that?
3: Honestly, no, I haven't. Uh, no, I again just not not much thinking went on um, about my own well being. I again just hearing these screams for help just like activated something that I think a lot of people have innately in us just as humans.
2: I hope so because this is what I wrote down while I watched you testify there are good people in Denver. And you and I grew up here. We knew that instinctively, but you're not just a good person. What you did, and by stopping the bleeding and getting other people to help, you saved Darian's life. And you know the paramedics stayed back. Describe that because you had to hear the ambulances. First, they were confused because that part of Denver is confusing to a lot of us, even natives, right, with the addresses and whatnot. But even when they got there, they stayed back because they didn't want to get shot, the police, the paramedics. Was that frustrating to you? I know it was to my client.
3: Um, I can't say it was frustrating, but it was definitely worrisome. Like, again, as you said, the, the first rule in EMS is scene safety. You are not allowed to enter the scene until it is deemed safe, usually by law enforcement, That rule sometimes is broken, but, you know, from the perspective of the paramedics, they're no good to anyone if they are also shot. So definitely, definitely frustrating, definitely concerning. But I also somewhat understand because I think I think a big part also of like why I didn't even think to do that is I was brand new. I, I wouldn't even call myself an EMT. I rode in an ambulance several times. I pulled one shift in an ER. Um, you know, I, I didn't really have it driven home that much that, like, bad scenes happen often. You need to protect yourself.
2: Thank God for that. Really, thank Darian being alive. You did not know Darian, right? You were total strangers.
3: That's correct. Yeah, I, I didn't know who he was at all.
2: But Darian reached out to you to thank you, and you guys have communicated. What's that been like?
3: Yeah, that's been, I mean, wow. it's been amazing. I don't know how to describe it. Like, I think Darian's a really cool guy. I think what he does for a living is really cool. I think his message to the world is really cool. Be a his good story person. And-
2: Be a good person. I mean, the brand yes. is amazing, and I didn't know Darian until uh, this situation. Maybe I did a little, I know about be a good person. You probably did too, but to know Darian is the brainchild of that. And do you follow him on Instagram and all that? This guy is profound. He's a special dude.
3: Oh yeah. Just the way he on Instagram, his social media presence, just the way he, you know, was so transparent and allowing people into his story was, I mean, it was beyond moving. It was, it was amazing. As someone who was involved and for people who weren't at all involved in this day and knew nothing about it. Just to see his strength on a spiritual level, on an emotional level, on a physical level was unbelievable.
2: Yeah, it's only believable because you saved his life. All the stuff he's created (laughs) since then. I mean, my God, we're coming up on the high holidays for Jewish people. And you went to Cherry Creek. You must know a lot of Jewish people. Anyway. It's a time of rebirth, renewal, and our spiritual tradition, which I expect is uh, true in other religions, if you save one life, think about what that could mean. God willing, Darian goes on to find another love. You know, my God, what beautiful family is Bella and he might have had, but Hopefully, he'll find another love, and hopefully, he'll have children, and they'll have children. And you know what? It's all because of you, Jake Pucci. It's all because of you. By saving one human, you've saved the world.
3: Wow. Yeah. I mean, stuff I just I don't think about too much. That That is amazing. I, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird to, to be, I guess. Right. Well, there are know, things that— You yeah. somewhat responsible for this.
2: Yes, you are. You are an American hero, a Colorado hero. Denver needs heroes like you. God bless you. So what was the trial like? You said you were nervous. I bet you were thinking, the the defense is going to ask me this. They're going to ask me that. As it turned out, they didn't ask you anything, right? So uh, what was your thought process going in?
3: I had zero idea what to expect. I mean, I knew... At some point, uh, you know, I've seen a couple law shows here and there. If you're on the stand, people ask you questions. They're curious what you saw. They're curious what happened. I knew that would happen. But other than that, I knew nothing. Um, And, yeah, I, I was just sitting outside of the courtroom. I was instructed to not talk to anyone the entire time I was sitting out there. So for about two hours, two and a half hours, my anxiety Was just building. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, interesting, too. I I believe as a witness, Darian took the stand right before me. Right. That's correct. Yes. Um, So when he was entering the courtroom, I was not allowed to speak to him, uh, which makes sense. Um, And then when he came out of the courtroom, I was directly in front of the door, which I was also... You know, again, not allowed to speak to him. So I was kind of trying to walk away a little bit, which was uncomfortable because I wanted to, you know, say hello, at least (laughs) Uh, talk about, you know, what a strenuous day it had been. Um, And as I was walking away, the DA was like, no, Jake, come back. Come on, come back. I was like, oh, gosh. So that was already awkward. (laughs) And then I entered the courtroom. And yeah, just this big grand courtroom with, you know, 100 people in it and a big dreary feeling. And then. All of those eyes just immediately on me was insane. It was just insane. Um, And then we were just walking down. I didn't know where the stand was. Uh, The DA was just like, go ahead and walk over there. Keep going. You're fine. You got this. Uh, And then the judge, of course, makes me swear to tell the truth, take the oath, whatever it may be. And it just began. Like, again, similar to the day with Darian, I just blacked out a little bit, and <laughs> just kind of did what I was told, Asked, answered the questions.
2: You are a great performer in a blackout. That's what I figured out <laughs> about you, because I've seen a lot of witnesses, and you were perfect. Really, you were. And you say it's a big grand courtroom, courtroom 5e in Denver. To me, it's, it's kind of like a prison cell. There were a lot of people in there, and I was one of them, but there are no windows, and uh I prefer the old city and county building. But for you being in your first courtroom, it was packed, and the jury is pretty darn close to you. And there's the defendant. What about Michael Close? Did you look at him? They didn't even have you identify him, but you probably couldn't because you never got a good look at him that day, did you?
3: No, I never, I never got a look at him. I did see his mugshot a couple of days later. Um, and to be honest, until right this moment, I didn't know he was in the courtroom. I saw the defendants had some people in suits, but that's all I noticed.
2: He was sitting, I'd say, three steps from you in that compact courtroom.
3: I honestly had no idea that. He was
2: that wow. blonde guy who was. <laughs> that, that guy that looked like Michael Close? Okay. <laughs> Why? Well, I mean. He, to, to call him white, it, it's really not fair because he's whiter than white and probably because he's been in jail for a while. But this guy is super white and blonde yeah. hair, a little bit of a receding hairline. Anyway, that's fascinating that you did not even know that he was there. Do you know who else was in the gallery, though? Did you think about that?
3: Um, no, honestly, I just I saw that there were a good amount of jurors. Um for some reason I chose the stenographer. Me and her were making a lot of eye contact. <laughs> Me, the stenographer, like two jurors and um what was his name? The DA Joe Joe Morales.
2: Joe Chief Morales. Deputy yes. DA
3: Joe
2: Morales. It was so old yep. that I used to work with him in the Denver DA's office. So here's who was there. A lot of family members. I represent Darian Simons, and his mom did not miss a minute. And then there were so many other relatives, his grandparents, et cetera. And then there were the Fallis family supporters. I did not see anybody there for Michael Close. Did you follow in the news or anywhere about how Close acquired that AK-47?
3: Yes, I understand that he was friends with a Denver police officer, uh officer politica i believe yes,
2: sergeant politica
4: yeah
3: sergeant politica okay. yeah and that was his rifle and i'm not exactly sure how close got a hold of the rifle but i know politica didn't report it missing or didn't raise alarm until i can tell you because I
2: yeah i mean i watched him testify too at a deposition i conducted and politica said He grew up going to Arvada High. He hung out with Michael Close. They were friends. He knew Michael Close was going through things, yet he had him at his house. One day as he was packing up all his weapons, the guy had some business called Tyrant Arms. Michael Close was over, and they moved the guns, and it was only later that he realized it was missing, and now the story is that it must have been Michael Close stole it from his buddy Dan Politica. Now, nobody got charged with that crime. And a new law was passed in Colorado, accordingly. But I've told you what I know, Jake, and you're entitled to know all of this. I don't know if you have a feeling about assault weapons in Denver. I mean, you saw the damage that can be done, right? Right there when you looked at Darian. What are your thoughts?
3: Oh, I I mean, I I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss or not. But yeah, it's like, you can cuss. Bullshit. That's, yeah, it, that's it, absolute bullshit. There's so many things that have that we just said that is bullshit. Why is a police officer have a, a gun company called Tyrant Arms? What what even is that? Um, and just as far as assault rifles in a city go, assault rifles in general. Who needs an assault rifle? I mean, gun politics is a massive thing in this country. I am pretty much anti-gun for the most part i'm a gun owner but nothing that insane i don't have assault rifles um i know when i lived in fort collins uh i would go to the gun store and they would offer large 30 round magazines for uh you know ar-15s and whatnot which i know in larimer county is illegal to own those but when you buy one they quote unquote break it they take it apart and then you can buy it and have it which to me, that's bullshit. It is I bullshit.
2: That. I hate it, too. You know, you should be a yep. lawyer because I asked Politica <laughs> about that name, Tyrant Arms. You know, the same things come to mind.
3: and Oh, yeah. What was his response to that?
2: A bunch of bullshit about, oh, I wasn't referring to, you know, uh, white supremacy or oath keepers or any of that stuff, but he'd just been battling the Black Lives Matters protesters do you realize the timing on this, Jake? Because oh, totally. Denver was shut down. George Floyd murder happened in Minnesota. Big protests in downtown Denver, not far from where you were. And among the people patrolling and trying to keep the protesters at bay, and it turns out they went overboard, was Sergeant Dan Politico, who is constantly talking with his buddy Michael Close, saying, you're going through some shit. Think about me. I'm... I'm getting battered every night, and it was like a war zone in downtown Denver, and then you saw the worst violence, and it just happened to be a gun that was once owned by Dan Politica. Now, I don't think Politica wanted this to happen. In fact, I know he didn't, but still, what's up? There are so many things that have been swept under the rug about this event And I think it was such a slam dunk case that the prosecutors worried, oh my God, the only way we can lose is if Jake talks to Darian in the hallway, or if uh, Nine News covers it too much, or Silverman publicizes what he knows about Politica. So a lot of us have been walking on eggs, because that is really the only way they could lose this case, because it was an indefensible act by Michael Close, and as proved by them not asking you one question on cross and having no doctor to support their bullshit insanity defense. it it There was no defense. He's guilty, not just of the so first-degree murder of Bella, but the attempted killing of Darian. And he will be sentenced on November 4th for the rest of his life. You know, you could go to that. It's all public. How did you find out oh, about the verdict?
3: I'd love to go to that. Uh, I found out about the verdict, actually— um, I had friends that didn't even know I was in the trial texting me like, oh, that piece of shit, he's found guilty. They texted me first and then saw it on the news and you reached out to me and Donna Jackson with the DA's department reached out to me. She's the I victim a lot of advocate, people. yes. Yeah. She um, did a great job.
2: And congratulations she's wonderful. She's to that office. Woman. Yes. But it yeah. was not that tough a case. You know? No. He he didn't, and and he ran away, knew he had done wrong, and afterwards, you know, he he texted Politica. I really screwed up, and he told uh, Chelsea, and he he was just mad at the world, and there's a lot of that going on, and you asked the right question, Jake. Why the hell do we have these weapons in our community, in Denver, Colorado, in a densely packed area? Have you thought about what those... 24 rounds could have done going into a unit like yours or your neighbor's?
3: Oh, I I saw what they can do. Yeah, I I, I know what those bullets are capable of.
2: Yeah, and I went Uh, past it because it kind of grosses me out. But just tell people what you (laughs) saw, the bullet hole. It's not like, it. it, it, well, you describe it. You saw it. I mean,
3: yeah, as far as I understand, a human body contains five to six liters of blood. I am not a medical expert, but from what I saw, it looked like Darian had lost two to three of those leaders. Right.
2: And the bullet totally shattered his right leg. And he's had oh, eight surgeries since. Once they fixed it and then it fell apart. The doctors at Denver Health are magnificent. And now Darian walked into the courtroom and he's that walking. That was the craziest part. Has-
3: yeah. Like on his Instagram, again, just within... I don't remember exactly, but like the fact that it was less than a year, he was walking in crutches. I was amazed,
2: right? And then they got off the night. He was going to DJ. He does so many creative things, and he, his leg just snapped while he was walking a Denver sidewalk. And they had to do it again, and he had to fight through it again. And he's done it. This is the toughest, nicest guy in the world. I mean, I partially's my client, but you've interacted with him and to follow him on Instagram is something special and that be a good person brand. Did you know they have a deal with the Broncos now? The Broncos have taken notice of his great uh, brand and clothing. Darien is really something because you saved his life.
3: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Last time I spoke to him, uh, I believe that the time we actually talked last was, uh, June 10th of 22. So somewhat recently, uh, over at Bella's uh, mural and memorial right. the gardens.
2: I was there. Uh, I wish I would have mentioned that. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, we spoke about that Bronco contract. That was amazing. And yeah, I think just, you know, I, I'll, I'll put away my, my humbleness. Uh, what I did was really amazing. Yes. But what Darian did following that and is continuing to do and will do for the rest of his life is truly amazing.
2: I've spoken a bit about my own religion because you just get so emotional. And I don't know if you have a religiosity, but I bet this tested you, every part of this situation. And I'm just thinking that if you believe in an afterlife, and frankly, I'm uncertain, but if you have that image of who gets in, who doesn't, I think you're in just with that one act. you know what I
3: mean? Yeah. That's got to feel good. Oh, sure. Definitely. I'm slipping Jesus at 20 to put me in the gates for sure. (laughs) You don't even have
2: to tip him that much. I think he's going to put you (laughs) at the front of the line.
3: Right on. That's awesome.
2: (laughs) Well, it's so great for you to talk about this with us. And uh, I I mean, you could do anything you want to do. You're a young man. How old are you now?
3: Uh, I'm 25 now.
2: There are heroes among us. It, do you have a social media presence? or I mean, I, I bet people will hear this and they'll say, what, what, do you, what, what, what do you like to do with your life? What's your ideal job in the future?
3: Um, well, yeah, I, I'm not on social media. I have an Instagram, but I don't ever sign into it. Um, no, at the time, and still, a, a big part of my heart yearns to be a firefighter um that's why i became an emt at the time that was something i was pursuing um i tried for about 3 years and applied to maybe 15 different departments and kept getting rejected but you know that's normal and that's fine um i think just right now my values have changed a little bit and uh i've put that a little bit on the back burner and so yeah, now I'm pursuing a career as a software engineer. I'm attending a boot camp, um, and yeah, I'm excited to see where that journey takes me. And wait, have you yeah, have doing, you
2: have you given up on powerpining? No, so yeah, uh, I think I have you not. should submit another application and attach this podcast and list Darian Simon as uh, a reference.
3: Yeah, I, I definitely will. Um, There will come a time, I know of it, when I will pursue that passion again. And when that time comes, this will absolutely be a part of my resume.
2: I'd hire you for anything. I think you're wonderful, Jake. We can't thank you enough and uh, just uh, really appreciate what you've done. And I can tell you, put that on your calendar, November 4th because I'm sure that the families would love to see you. I think it might have been Josh Thallis after your testimony who said to me that uh, Jake probably saved Darian in two ways. Physically, by stopping those gushing wounds. But the way you talked to him, the way you comforted him, because I think you have to have a will to live. And you... Right there restored his faith in humanity. He just looked into the eye of evil. And I can tell you it was very emotional because Darian's a composed guy. And the only time he really broke down is when he he described seeing Bella go down. Thank God if she had to die, she was killed instantly. That went right through her aorta. I don't know if you've heard about her wounds, but. She was shot dead, and it was obvious. You couldn't probably see that from your window, but, my God, what Darian saw and what he's had to go through.
3: I know. I mean, at the time, I was single. I didn't have a dog. Now, I'm in a great relationship. I have a dog, and I so I frequently just think about how my life is so similar and just how, you know, just crazy people exist, and it's just not worth it sometimes I guess I don't know just shit happens it's absolutely horrible um and I I guess it just kind of keeps your head on a swivel more
2: right but great things happen like you and what I'm saying is that you are the happiest best part of this tragic story the fact that you saved Darian's life and I can assure you that everybody would like to see you there on November 4th because the Thalys family loves you Darian's family loves you I think the community loves you now. You are a hero. Thanks again for doing my podcast, Jake. It's been great. Any final thoughts?
3: Um, yeah, thank you. I, I guess just while I'm on my soapbox, I, I think just a little sentiment is to just look out for each other. You know, I feel like the last five or so years have been a little hectic, a little crazy politically and just as a society. And I think at the end of the day, just, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of person you are, what color you are, what religion you are, your background, who you are, just put aside a lot of, I don't know, bad thoughts, put aside a lot of discrepancies and just look out for each other.
2: Right. And to get a little religious, um, I was taught and you were probably taught that man is created in God's image. Of course, that includes women too. And if we really thought that God existed in another human being, I I do believe that. I see God in what you did. I see God in Darian, And what you did is just amazing. And it's hard to know what's right and wrong sometimes, but what you did was so right And so courageous, and it was born of the best human instincts on a day when we saw the the worst human instincts and that unchecked anger that you talk about, and you combine it with the assault weapons that you called bullshit, and I concur. You've nailed it. You could be a podcaster too, podcaster, firefighter, uh, hero. There you go.
3: There you go. I love it.
2: (laughs) All right. We all love you, man. Thanks so much for what you did.
3: Of course. Thank you, Craig.
2: Thanks, Jake. Bye-bye. You have a good one. You too. Now, during the pandemic and otherwise, a lot of people have so much affection for their pets. That must come up all the time. What's going to happen to Scruffy? What can you tell us about that, Michael Bailey?
5: What you can do is create a pet trust in Colorado. You put money into trust and then that money is available and earmarked to care for the dog and it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years, whichever is shorter. And then when the time frame for the trust is up, you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money or. I have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals.
2: How cool is that? You can go to Michael Bailey's office, and he has offices all over, and you could meet at your home, whatever. I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer.
5: So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com. And there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me.
2: I've been a lawyer for over 40 years now. Taking down Politica's deposition was a little different. It happened during COVID. This whole darn case, people be Michael Close, happened during COVID. So we were not in the same room. I think he was in Tennessee. That's where we got him served after some problems getting him served. I want to answer the question asked by Jake Pucci right away about tyrant arms. What does that mean exactly? I've studied this Second Amendment issue, and I've fought for gun control my whole career. And I've realized that some people want to have the Second Amendment for self-defense, but others want to fight the government, fight tyrants. And I asked Dan Politica why he named his would-be gun company Tyrant Arms. He was going to be dealing to cops and fellow military And I'm worried about the Oath Keepers, all of that. Politica said, no, I'm not a bigot. That's another part of this deposition. and went on for a couple of hours. I'm going to play the highlights. He told me he's Russian and he has a Latino girlfriend and he would not put up with bigotry because you have to suspect that. Think about it. With Lily White, Michael Close shooting two people of color two strangers outside his window, what was their offense? Being of color? Would he have shot white people? I don't know. But I do have my suspicions about why Dan Politican named his company Tyrant Arms and his lawyer decided that he wanted to stop me from getting too far into that. And I had a choice to make. And I could see that he was going to talk... Politica, that is, about Julius Caesar or some such thing. He'd done it earlier in the depot, and I could have kept testing him, but I think I got enough for us to consider, hmm, what's up with Dan Politica? Listen to this. So what happened with your tyrant arms business? Did you get it going?
1: No. Um, So I got the FFL, and then... The city of Barbados said I could only do online gun sales, and I wasn't interested in that.
2: Tell us about the city of Barbados shutting down your idea for Tyrant Arms. Who did you interact with?
1: Um, I don't know. Just whoever is in their licensing area or whatever, whoever handles licensing. So like the sales use tax license division.
2: So would there be a file on Tyrant Arms and their rejection of your... Uh, desire to sell out of your Ralston Road house? I don't know. Does Tyrant Arms ha- have any assets today? No, sir. Any insurance? No, sir. Is it active in any way, shape, or form? Not at all. You are aware that some people uh, argue about the Second Amendment its utility, whether it applied to a militia. But then there's another argument about whether weapons are something you need for self-defense or to fight a tyrannical government. What's your attitude on that?
0: Yeah, don't answer that. Uh, a couple of issues with this, Craig. This is not part of the topics under the 30B6 notice. So he is not required to answer that question. So Dan, do not answer that.
2: I think it goes to the name Tyrant Arms.
0: Yeah, he's not right. going to answer that, Craig. He's not. If you could, if you could, if you want to bring this to the court's attention, gladly will. He's not answering it.
2: That attorney Reed Elkins, supplied by, uh, I believe, the police Union. We uh, had our interesting exchanges. The deposition went on. Actually, that was toward the end of the deposition. I usually start off a little nicer. In fact, within Politica, I wanted to give him an opportunity to just show me who he is, talk to my family members, because I knew that the Thales family and the Simons family, they, they, they all wanted to know what's going on with Dan Politico? What did he do? Why did he do it? And I put it to him up front at the start, toward the start of the deposition. And it went like this. Let, let me just ask you in your own words, if you had not been stopped from contacting the Thallas family, or Dar- were you going to contact Darian Simon too?
1: Yeah, that was my, uh, my hope.
2: what did you want to tell those people? Well,
1: I've lost a lot of people in my life. I've been through some major tragedies. And I think the worst part of that is having unanswered questions um, and not really understanding maybe the timeline of events. And I, to this day, don't understand the timeline of this particular event, but I just wanted to reach out and see what I could do to help. uh, If there was anything I could do to help, even if you know, they all just wanted to yell at me for an hour. And that was uh, specifically what I thought might occur. But I'd, I'd allow that. I mean, I, I get it. I get the, the sadness and the pain and the anger. And sometimes being able to answer some of those questions can heal those wounds.
2: Well, there you have it. What do you think about his statement there? Do you want to yell at Dan Politica? I wanted to figure out what's in the mind of a man who has that many guns that he loses track of them. And it was nice to set that predicate because hopefully I was going to get some truth for the family. And think about whether I got them truth as I inquired the means by which he acquired that AK-47 that killed Isabella Thales and wounded Darian Simon. What, what? What was going on there? Why did he acquire that weapon? How did he keep it? These were the questions I had. These are some of the questions that I got answers to. It's up to you to decide whether you think it was true or not. What I'm trying to give the family is the truth. And I want to talk about the weapon that was used to kill her. Tell me about that weapon and what you know about it.
1: Uh, Just that it's an AK-47. So, and it shoots 7.62 by 3.9 is the caliber of that weapon.
2: And what was the make and model? I mean, it's an AK 47, but uh, was it your weapon? Yes, sir. You're saying you? It belonged to you, Dan Politica, as opposed to Tyron Arms? Yes, sir. When did you buy that weapon?
1: I think I bought it in 2016.
2: Where did you buy it?
1: Not from the internet.
2: Tell me how that works. How do you buy an AK-47 from the internet?
1: You purchase it. It gets shipped to a gun store. You go into a gun store and do a background check. And then the once that clears, the gun is transferred to you.
2: What gun store did you use?
1: Um, I'm not sure on that one. I think maybe Denver Bullet.
2: What was the reason you bought the gun?
1: Um... I buy a lot of firearms just to collect them. So I'm a firearm collector. And then I do a lot of target shooting. Um, I did, I don't now, but I did.
2: Did you resell the weapons?
1: Resell weapons?
2: Right, did you ever buy a weapon uh, from the internet through a gun store and then resell it when you got tired of it or you wanted to make a profit?
1: Well, I've sold, um, I think, one weapon, and then I gave my mom a gun. Um, I think that's about it. But no, I didn't typically buy guns with the intent to resell them. I typically buy guns with maybe the intent down the road to sell them like 20 years because it's a they usually appreciate in value. But I still have the first firearm I ever bought.
2: This AK-47 that you think you got off the internet, wh- where do you go on the internet to find the weapon to ship to Denver Bullet or do you, uh, is there another store that might have been, just tell me the process because start with the internet. What what websites do you go to to find this?
1: Uh, there's a bunch. But
0: hold on, Some hold on, are... hold on. Dan, Dan, hold on, hold on. I'm just gonna object to the form of the question, but go ahead.
1: Okay. Um, So there's a bunch of online websites where you can purchase firearms and they're all supposed to have an FFL. And then they just ship it to a gun store. You go into the gun store, the local gun store, excuse me, local gun store. They do your background check. If it clears, they hand you over the weapon. If it doesn't, usually you have to pay for whatever they end up doing with the gun.
2: And is that where the price is set on the Internet? you agree to a price, you hit click, and and they take a credit card, is that how it works?
1: I believe so, yeah, usually. Um, sometimes it, it's kind of weird. So sometimes gun stores will order the gun for you from the website, and then the background check is not free.
2: Okay, and how much was that AK-47? How much did it cost? I don't know, sir. Give me a, a ballpark, please. Uh, five to
1: six hundred dollars.
2: Is it possible that it cost more than a thousand dollars?
0: Objection. No. This has been hold on. Objection asked and answered, but go yeah. ahead.
1: Uh, no, sir, not at the time,
2: right? I, I mean, I know golf club pricing, and to get a top driver, maybe you would spend three or four hundred. Rare that somebody would spend over a thousand, but I'm not that knowledgeable about AK-47s. Are you telling me, no, AKs, they don't cost that much?
1: It that it depends. That one does not.
2: Depends on what?
1: There's all kinds of different companies that make AK-47s. It's just a, a model.
2: So why did you want this model? What was the purpose?
1: Um just because I didn't have it.
2: You said you have your first weapon ever. When did you acquire that?
1: Uh, After joining the police department. I don't think I needed it on the first day of the academy, but 2005, it was my service firearm.
2: And then how many weapons have you acquired since then? I don't know, sir. Doesn't...
1: Uh, I don't know about dozens, um, several for sure.
2: Okay. At the time you acquired that uh, AK-47 in 2016, how many weapons did you have? I I don't know, sir. Over a dozen firearms? Uh,
1: Maybe. I'd say that's probably around the number.
2: How many AK-47s?
1: Um, At that time, I think I had one other AK-47.
2: I guess you can't stop at just one AK-47. We sure wish Dan Politica would have. He had so many weapons, he lost track of them. And how do you store an assault weapon? You would think carefully, and who would steal an assault weapon from a Denver police sergeant? These are the questions that ran through my mind and through the family's minds. And we're still thinking about it. And I would say that all of Denver was a victim here. And given that the gun belonged to a Denver police sergeant, we need these answers. Listen to my questions and Sergeant Politica's answers right here. You tell me when you say that you kept your weapons, uh, what, in the cellar or around? I'm not hearing a gun safe or for anything like that.
1: Right. So some guns are locked up, right? It depends on the firearm. So like my duty weapon, right? I have access to that typically, but it's stored away and it's um, in its holster. I store the whole gun belt. Um, In 2020, it was stored in a locked cabinet a lot of times. Um, So the question is very broad. So I'm trying to figure out if you're asking about the particular firearm in question, the AK-47 that was used. Um,
2: yeah why don't I how how did that get stolen by Michael Close
1: that was my one of my home defense weapons so it was stored and and this is just what I believe because I actually haven't um, like found out which AK 47 it was like where because I haven't talked to Mike about it right so I had the gun I believe it was is I had an AK 47 hidden in my closet
2: Which closet?
1: My master bedroom closet, my upstairs bedroom closet at 7402.
2: And that's where Mike Close was also living?
1: He stayed in the lower bedroom, and that was while I was transitioning to the other house.
2: Right. But you didn't feel any need to lock away guns from Mike Close because he was your good friend and you never thought he would do anything wrong with the gun? Is that correct?
1: Well, um, Mike Close was a legal gun owner and the house was secure. It had steel doors and everything like that. So, yeah, I didn't particularly think, I didn't think Mike would do anything malicious.
2: And did he have guns of his own? Yes. Uh, What kind of guns did Mike Close have on his own?
1: I don't know, sir. I think he had maybe a shotgun.
2: Okay, now I wanted some answers. On behalf of my client, Darian Simon, his family, the Thallis family, how was Michael Close able to steal that weapon? Well, to me, these were buddies that shared things. Was it really stolen? There's an Isabella Thallus firearm report your gun stolen law now, which is good. But was this gun really stolen? It's interesting that he gave his mom what, an assault weapon to protect herself? I'll give a gun to anybody to protect themselves. Oh, Michael Close, you're moving downtown? Well, you've got guns of your own, but how about a nice assault weapon? I can't possibly use all of mine. I don't know. How did Michael Close steal that weapon? And when did he do it? These were the questions I had in mind. How do you believe that Michael Close was able to steal your weapon?
1: So when Mike was staying in the house, in exchange for staying in the house, he was helping pack up stuff.
2: All right. And uh, he packed up the contents of your closet? I think so. Did you tell him, hey, how how would you move an AK-47? Do you put it in luggage or does it have its own container?
1: It it could. Um, Some of them have gun cases and then, Some of them have cardboard boxes and just sometimes you put them in a moving container.
2: Well, what about that AK, I'm sorry. What about that AK-47 that you kept in your uh, master bedroom for personal protection? Was it in a case?
1: It never made it to the Johnson address, sir.
2: I know, but when you had it in the Ralston Road address, did you have it in a case in your closet? Or was it just standing up, ready for you to grab it if necessary?
1: It was hidden behind the closet. So there was a gap between the closet and the wall. And it was stashed in that gap.
2: Without any kind of covering?
1: Well, you'd have to look. I mean, the gap was three inches wide.
2: So I would think that would be something that you would want to pack on your own but apparently that didn't happen. Just explain that to me and anybody who watches this.
1: Explain why I wouldn't pack everything on my own?
2: Explain how Michael Close ended up touching your AK-47 in your master bedroom.
0: I'm going to object to Foreman
1: Foundation, but go ahead, Dan. Okay. Um, Mike was trusted by me to touch things like he had never done anything that I thought was inappropriate. I had known Mike for 20 plus years. And so he was allowed to touch like my possessions to pack them up.
2: Okay. Um, So as of 2020, you saw no reason not to trust Michael Close with the firearm. January of
1: 2020. Correct. Yeah.
2: What about uh, as 2020 moved along? Did it become more of a concern as you saw the way Michael Close was behaving? Um, I
1: mean, in like an ideal world, if I could have like snapped my fingers and removed all of his firearms and knives and everything else, have an actual uh, concern firearms specifically or anything specifically. There was no overt comment from Mike. In fact, he specifically told me that he was not homicidal or
2: suicidal. Did you ever go shoot weapons with Mike Close?
1: Yeah, in years prior. We didn't do any shooting in 2020.
2: Had you let him use your ak 47
1: we had shotguns. So, yes, I, I believe so. I don't know about that one, but yeah, Michael shot guns
2: of mine. Wow. I have shot an AK 47. I think so. Ross Kaminsky is big on guns, and we were friends, and he had us up to uh, a mountain place, and I shot it. I never would want to own those, and I think they should be banned. I do. They're expensive. They make a lot of money for the gun industry. And despite the expense, and we talked about that, I can't play the whole deposition, but it was videotaped over Zoom. You can hear it's a little tinny, especially on my end. But that's okay, because I wanted answers about, hey, if this expensive weapon was stolen, how come Michael Close was never charged with stealing the weapon? And I asked that so many things were swept under the carpet that the jury did not hear about. By the way, Dan Politica did not testify. Everything was stipulated to Now, Michael Close, after he shot 24 times, killing Bella, leaning out the window to try to kill Darian, he thought he killed him. Then when he got caught up in the mountains, he had... That weapon, he had his handgun. You know, he could have gone and gotten a handgun, but he decided to go Scarface because he was such a big man. He was so angry. And he had access to this weapon. And I wondered if he stole it from you, how come we don't ever see a a theft of weapons charge here or anything to do with possessing an assault weapon, specifically prohibited in Denver, Colorado, since that law was passed after the murder of Alan Berg? Who was shot dead with a MAC-11, as I recall. Or some such assault weapon. Damn those assault weapons. I asked these questions of former Denver Police Sergeant Dan Politica. What about the theft of your weapon? Oh, just let that go? Why? Because it really didn't happen? Nice of your insurance company to pay us for your negligence. Hmm. Anyway, the damages are enormous here whatever we got was not enough. And uh, this kind of damage done to these people, I just want to give them the truth. And you can hear more truth here. Listen to this. When do you think he has stole the weapon? When do you think I'm he sure. stole the... Go ahead.
1: I'm sorry. I'm not sure. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry, sir.
2: Can you give us a window of when you think he might have stolen the AK-47? For example, when's the last time you saw it near your closet? And I'm sure you've thought about this. Tell us what you're thinking on that.
1: Yeah, so I would...
0: Hold on, on, Dan, hold on. Uh, I'm going to object to the form and foundation of the
1: question, but go ahead if you can answer it. Okay. I would guess that he took it out of the house when he moved out. So I believe that was at the end of January. He got an apartment downtown, the apartment in question that he was in, um, to my knowledge, the day of the incident. So whenever he moved out of Ralston into that apartment, he took that firearm with him, I think.
2: Did he steal uh, magazines and ammunition from you as well? I don't know. You can't tell when you're missing magazines?
1: Uh, no, sir. Not because not a magazine. I mean, it's. I don't have each magazine individually stored.
2: So you're saying that this thing of value, the AK-47, was stolen from you. Did anybody ask you about uh, pursuing charges against Michael Close for that theft?
1: You mean like after
0: the homicide and it was revealed? Yes. And Dan, if this is subject to attorney client privilege, excuse me, if, if you received advice from legal counsel, that is privileged communication. So you cannot get into that. However, if the advice that you received to press charges did not come from legal counsel, then you can answer that question.
1: Okay. Um. So, I would say that the prior part of that, like. So, from attorney, it was from
0: attorney client privilege. So, at this point, Craig, he will not be answering that question. I'm instructing my client not to answer that question.
2: All right. Well, forget about what your lawyer had to say. Did you want to press charges for the theft of the AK 47? You
4: personally?
1: I personally am way more concerned with what occurred with the weapon.
2: That's so, understandable.
1: That's my concern. And at like that point, I mean, I don't. The theft part, it's not even important to me. Um,
2: and then the most curious thing to myself, the other lawyers involved, the fine lawyers for the Thallis family, we tried to figure out why did Denver police lie and say it was an AR-15 instead of an AK-47? They know the difference. I can tell the difference between a title Titleist driver and a Callaway driver. They've got different markings, and it's written on it. And they knew everything they needed to know about that weapon when they found Michael Close as he tried to get away up in the mountains. And they had to know it belonged to Denver Police Sergeant Dan Politico, who was right then involved in policing the Black Lives Matters protest And the city of Denver apparently put out this disinformation. They didn't say, well, we can't talk about the weapon. They actively put out there that it was an AR-15 as opposed to an AK-47. And Dan Politica said that fooled him because he knew that uh, an AR-15 meant he could not be involved. But once he heard about an AK-47, he put two and two together. And he had the two AK-47s, now he had one, and oh my gosh, it must be my weapon. But when did he find that out, really? How long after the fact? What was going on with DPD? I don't like it. it. didn't cause the shooting of Darian or the murder of Bella, but it's disrespectful, not just to them, but to Denver to lie like that. Put out disinformation. Is it actionable? Hmm. Hurt feelings? Bad feelings? Now Paul Payson's leaving. Is chief of police Michael Hancock soon to be done? We got to get a grip on this problem. See what you think after you hear this exchange with Dan Politica, former Denver police sergeant. When you purchased the AK-47 that was used to shoot Bella and injured Darien, uh, did you do that in a, in a legal manner? Yes, sir. And is there a an identifying marking on the weapon that would allow the government to know, hey, that weapon belongs to Dan Politico?
1: Yes, sir. There's a serial number on firearms.
2: You didn't, did you do anything to obscure the... Uh, identifiable numbers on the weapon or your identity as the lawful owner of that AK-47? No, sir. You said that it was months after the shooting that you realized that it was your weapon that had been used. What was it months later that made you aware of that?
1: Uh, Hearing that it was an AK-47 because I was under the impression it was an AR-15, so.
2: What what various assignments have you had in the Denver Police Department through the years? It, it doesn't need to be long detail. I assume patrol. Did you become a detective? Tell, it, tell us briefly about your career.
1: Uh, all patrol. So District 6 patrol. Then I was a bicycle patrol officer, which is like class two, as we call them. So crimes that you observe. And then I promoted to sergeant in October of 2019, and I was assigned to the patrol division in District 2.
2: And was that your last job with the department? Yes, sir. You retired early before you were fully vested in uh, the nice program that Denver has for police officers, correct?
1: Well, yes, I I was vested. I did not wait till 55 and I don't think that the program is very good.
2: And why did you leave when you did?
1: Uh, I've been wanting to leave for some time and then it's just not a sustainable job. So
2: what does that mean?
1: That means that I had, uh, I didn't like where it was going. I didn't like where the professional policing was going. I didn't sign up. For any kind of celebrity status, I didn't, that's not why I signed up. And I don't know, I just, I signed up because I wanted to do something where I felt fulfilled every day. And I realized I was looking at a calendar and counting down years.
2: Were you disappointed with the quality of the work being performed by your Denver Police colleagues around you?
1: Oh, no, not at all.
2: Well, I don't understand why the police captured your friend, Michael Close, pretty quickly after the shooting in Park County. Are you aware of that, right?
1: I think that's what happened, yeah.
2: And the weapon was recovered, correct? It's in police custody.
1: Yeah, I believe so, sir.
2: So I don't know why it would take months for them to figure out that that weapon belonged to you and call you and talk to you about it. Do you have any explanation of what would have obscured their ability to look at the numbers on the weapon and connect it with you?
0: Form and Foundation, but try to go ahead and have an answer it. I, uh,
1: I, I don't know.
2: Wouldn't you expect that the police would know the owner of the weapon within hours of acquiring it?
0: For again, objection, Foreman Foundation. But go
1: ahead. Um, I don't know how long it takes because I believe that's something through the ATF. So if a gun's reported stolen, they'll find out who reported the gun stolen because that would be a Denver report. Um, but I believe the ATF handles that where they track down the serial number. But I wasn't even notified by the Denver Police Department until my interview with them. So I don't know when they found out.
2: So there you have it. That's a major part of the Politica deposition that took place on February 23, 2022. And I did provide that to the Chief Deputy Joe Morales, who provided it to the public defenders who represented Michael Close. And everybody pretty much stayed away from Politica talk at the trial. And it was spoken in closing argument by Joe Morales that uh, DPD did a great job documenting the scene. The truth is, it was an easy case. Michael Close shot out of his own apartment. He got caught running away. He texted his ex-girlfriend. I killed two people. He left a voicemail for Dan Politica saying how bad he had screwed up. Really, this was not a hard case to prove, but there are some unresolved questions that we need to answer. And as a community, we have to talk about the utility of these assault weapons or the fact that it's leading to our destruction. Good food for thought. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig, Craig Solberman, a voice for victims, 303 734 7156. Hello. Hey, I'll be Siegel. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for doing this
6: podcast. No problem. My pleasure.
2: Tell everybody about yourself and uh, what you do for a living.
6: Well, I've been in Denver since 1977, and I've been. Uh, I've been the executive director of a number of nonprofits in town, the Jewish Community Center, the Children's Museum, the Emily Griffiths Foundation. Uh, I've worked up in Vail with the Vail Symposium and other parts of the country, and for 25 years, consulted with nonprofit organizations, them become susta- helping them become sustainable. Right now, I am the half-time executive director of the Denver Press Club, and it's the oldest press club in the United States, founded in 1867. Ah, uh, this historic building we in, we're in at 1330 Glenarm Place is at is uh, was built in 1925 for the Press Club, and it's just a, a great old building. It's uh, it reeks of history. Presidents and celebrities have been here over the years, and uh, we're oh, we now have a membership of over 525, half of them being people in the media, and the other half politicians and lobbyists and public relations folks and business people so uh, we're open to anyone who cares to come in and 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 join the press club we're really it's really reasonably priced and i think uh craig we want to mention that we're having our hall of fame annual hall of fame banquet on october 8th Yes, and, uh, absolutely.
2: And to show how inclusive you guys are, you even let me be a member. And I am, of course, going on October 8th to the Hall of Fame dinner. Would not miss it because I know uh, the story of Allen Burke. Never met him personally, but boy, if I covered that on my podcast. I've also had Mike Litwin on as a guest, and Kathy Walsh was a guest of mine when I think she was up for consideration to be the voice on the Denver train at Dia. She's such a good sport. So there are a lot of great people being honored. But uh, you go ahead and tell people how they can do that and get involved.
6: Oh, of course, of course. So we're also honoring uh, B Harris, who's the founder of uh, um, ur- um, uh, Urban Spectrum. Yeah, it's okay. Urban Spectrum newspaper. Thank you, and. Uh, and uh, Sandra Dillard, who was the first African-American journalist for the Denver Post. So those four, and, and then it's very special recognition to Alan Berg, who was the infamous radio jock on KOA radio for so many years, a, 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 a total supporter of the First Amendment and truth and, and, and very provocative in his speech. And as of course, you know, Murdered in his driveway by Nazis in 1984 because of his outspokenness about hate and, and his anti-hate stance on the radio. And so we will posthumously honor Alan and unveil a, a display that we've created that will hang permanently at the Press Club in his honor about anti-hate and, and what Alan Burr contributed to our community. So, you know, we're looking forward to this annual dinner. We do it every year and we honor usually four uh, local media folks who have made an impression in our community and it's at the sonesta hotel at six o'clock and you can go to the website www.denverpressclub.org and look under events and click on hall of fame and buy tickets. They're they're quite inexpensive. It's uh, $100 for members of the club and $150 for non-members. And so hopefully some people will join and uh, and join us on October 8th. It's not a long program. In fact, the current inductees, the living inductees, are going to be interviewed all at the same time by uh, Laura Frank, the uh, CEO of CoLab and on our board of directors. And then there'll be a special uh, interview program with Kevin Flynn, who covered for the Rocky Mountain News covered Alan Berg's death, and his Alan Berg's producer Susan Ryman, and then uh, the current radio jock Peter Boyles, who was good friends with, with Alan. So mm. you know we invite people to come. We hope we've already sold over 120 tickets, and we have about 30 left. So we'd be happy for people to oh. join us.
2: Oh, I didn't know that Peter Boyles was going to be part of the program. That's new. yes,
6: he'll be interviewed. So Kevin Vaughn, the president of the board of uh the denver press club will conduct that interview mm-hmm. and you know it used to be that uh, uh that the this hall of fame dinner was a lot of talking and so we've really limited that so that there's no individual speeches it's all these interviews and then afterwards there's an after party at the press club a block away for people to come and gather and chat so you know i hope that your listeners and the people who are uh listening to this podcast will will join us but I also just come by the press club sometime. As you know, it's, it's a, I call it a speakeasy for smart people because it, it is a speakeasy type place. And there's just incredible conversation that happens at the bar and in the lounge and around the club. Uh, and we have great programming. Like next Wednesday, Craig, I don't know if you knew this. Next Wednesday, Gary Hart is launching his new book here called How the Republicans Save Our Democracy.
2: Well, that's that's going to be amazing. I'm going to have to come to that. I went and saw Julian Rubinstein and Terrence Roberts at the press club. And now he is in the eye of the storm. We read about a lawsuit against his book and his movie, The Holly. That is interesting press stuff. But yeah, my, 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 my listeners have heard me do a lot of stories about Alan Berg. And I had Judith Berg on who said that Peter Boyles disparaged her horribly and claimed to be Alan's friend when he wasn't. Now, I don't know, but uh, I think that that's what my audience knows about it. So um, I've had other people who knew Alan well, like David Savage, the attorney, uh, who, who told me who his friends were. And so it'll be an interesting program, that's for sure. I know Peter Boyle's Uh, identified himself at the trial of Alan Berg's uh, killers as Berg's best friend but that's the thing about reporting, right? There are always different sides of the story and for those of us who weren't there we can try to puzzle it out and that's part of what my podcast has done. Tell everybody about the rich tradition of the Denver Press Club. Who is in the Hall of Fame and what is the criteria?
6: Sure. So we actually have, we have a, a Hall of Fame that started in 1996. And that first group was Gene Fowler and Bill Hasakawa, Bob Palmer, Ronaldo Mews. And these are, every year, Our uh, we have a small committee uh, made up of members, board members and other members who choose the Hall of Fame recipients. And we usually choose four. And, and they're local media professionals who have made uh, a significant contribution to our community. Uh, Gene, I'm just reading a few of the names, Gene Amel, uh, uh, Sam Lusky, Dusty Saunders, Virginia Culver, um, uh, uh, Carl Akers, uh, and more recently, uh, 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 Tina Griego, uh, Sam Adams, Mike Landis, John Temple, Uh, So a really distinguished group. You know, and I've had
2: so many. uh, Mike Landis and uh, John mm -hmm. Temple have been guests of mine. But there was somebody on your wall who's a lawyer, famous lawyer, Walter Garash. He's still alive. Um, Yes. How did Walter Garash get in the Denver Press Hall of Fame? I have
6: no idea. (laughs) But, you know, it was a a vote. I mean, he, he was voted in by... There's a committee of five, usually three board members and then two other journalists who have been in Denver for quite a while. And so they make the decisions. And uh, Walter, I know I've met Walter, but and I don't know how he made the cut, but he did for sure, along with quite a few others. I'm looking I, I let the list. Uh, Gwynn Johnston, who was a PR person and not necessarily a, a journalist, is on the list. Um, Ned High. I think Ned was uh, a PR person, also, and uh, not really a journalist, uh, so to speak. Does
2: it have anything to do with going up to the bar and saying, around for everybody"?
6: <laughs> Maybe it could be. You know, uh, especially if you do it more than once. Yes, That's
2: I could see Walter awesome. doing that back yeah, in the day after yeah. a big verdict, because uh, the press club is right there in the part of downtown where I've worked for the majority of my career. That's quite a historic building. It takes a lot of upkeep. And it's right across from the Denver Athletic Club and uh, the Glenarm location where the Klan... Did you know the Klan kind of ran Denver a hundred years ago right there? I think it was 1325 Glenarm. John Galen Uh, Locke's office right there.
6: I I do know that. And, and you know, the Emily Griffith... uh, School, Yes. Used to be Caddy corner from where we are. And you know that Emily, uh, back then, uh, confronted the Klan and, Did and she? oh yeah, uh, publicly, nice. publicly confronted the Klan and partly because they shared a neighborhood and, and she, uh, there were times when the Klan, Klan members would come over to the Emily Griffith school and she would like confront them and kick them out. I mean, she was, uh, she was a champion. Uh, and so that, that site now is half of it is now the Slate Hotel. Really, really upscale, beautiful kind of boutique hotel. And the other half on Glenarm is turning into a retail, an open retail center like uh, the Dairy Block. And so with that um, uh, addition to this neighborhood and then right next to the Press Club, there's a 340 room hotel going in. So there's going to be quite a bit of activity uh, between Colfax and 14th that, uh, in the next few years.
2: Great. That means you can lower the dues, right? Because the property value is through the roof.
6: Oh, I, I was thinking the opposite.
2: Anyway, yeah.
6: Go ahead. You know, Craig, you know our dues are pretty inexpensive to start with. $150 if you're in the media and $275 if you're not. And that's for the year, for the whole year. Mm-hmm. So pretty I'm wa- reasonable.
2: Right. And I'm wondering about, uh, you know, what the Denver Press Club stands for. Um, you know, right now with the war on uh, the media, disinformation, the allegations of fake news, Absolutely. I I, I mean, does the Denver Press Club pick and choose and say, no, you know, we're not going to consider this real journalism because it's it's to this or it's to that. Do you guys draw lines?
6: Yes. Yes. Well, yes, we do. And yes, we have to, because there's a 501c3 uh, IRS designated nonprofit organization. We're not uh, supposed to take any political stands. Uh, but let me, tell you, let me um, tell you our mission statement. It's that the Denver Press Club exists to foster and further the work of the free press, where the honest and open discussion of the issues of the day are encouraged in an environment of respect, dignity, where all members and guests feel welcome. So that, that's our mission. That's what we try to do. And, you know, to your point, I was just approached to have to show a film about mail-in voting here at the club. hmm and the, I, I previewed the film, and to be honest, it was, it was very left-leaning and, and politically left and prejudiced. Mm-hmm. And we, I had to choose to not show it because of that. So we try to walk a line of nonpartisanship and also support and champion the First Amendment, freedom of speech, and, uh, and free press.
2: Right now, Alex Jones is in the news. Thank God he's not connected to Colorado. But let's yeah. say that he was—would he even be eligible for the Hall of Fame? My God, his numbers are through
6: the roof. Oh God! You know, I—I I, I don't think I, I'm quite sure he wouldn't be considered, but he's probably eligible, but he wouldn't be considered. You're know, the only person who is in the Hall of Fame, on a plaque on the wall who was removed was Father Woody Mm. when he um, was found guilty of being a pedophile.
2: Right, and I think there were some recent allegations with the statute being opened up. Father Woody, who did a lot of good things, but apparently bad things, too. He would give out $100 bills on holidays, and we thought it was for free. Anyway, let's go kind of closer to home. Along those same lines, guy who was on bill mars national show when it was on abc frequently and he had a big national audience out of colorado and he passed away of covid which was sad he didn't want to get vaccinated bob Enyert. you remember bob Enyert?
6: Uh, i do i do with big and, uh, radio
2: presence here in colorado media yep. otherwise pioneer in yep. a lot of ways would he be yep. eligible
6: well, again, there's a difference between eligibility and actually being voted in. Right. So, any anyone who is in the media is eligible, and obviously, from the people, some of the people I've read or aren't in the media, uh, also eligible, but made contributions to the local media. I'm looking here at Floyd Cerulli's name. You know, I know Floyd quite well and I'm sure you do too. And yes. he, you know, Floyd's not a journalist and he's really not in the media. He's a, he's a pundit and a pollster, but uh, he made the hall of fame. Um, you know, I wonder, but there's no, there's no politicians, for instance, that wouldn't, that wouldn't, they would not be eligible. Um, and in terms of, you know, our walking the line, we have a regular member who, whose name I will not mention who comes in, and he's, uh, he's a very generous guy, and, he's, and he comes in regularly, and uh, his political views are far to the right, and he's not shy about expressing them. In a gentlemanly, intelligent way, you know, he's not bombastic, uh, and, and we, have, we have really intelligent conversations at the bar with him, uh, and, and we welcome him. You know, and, and, and that's fine. And I sometimes think to myself, what would happen if Lauren Bobart walked in carrying a gun? You know, what, can, how would we handle that? Can
2: you bring a gun under the press club?
6: Well, the, the state law is that you can go into a club if, you, if it's concealed, not open carry. So we will not allow someone in with open carry. And, you know, if it's concealed, how would we even know? But there is a state statute that says that... Um, it's uh, folks carrying uh, weapons, guns, are not allowed to drink in drinking establishments because that puts the establishment at risk.
2: Right, but a lot of venues post a sign no firearms inside here. I've never seen that when I've gone in that crazy big door at the Denver Press Club.
6: Well, yeah. No. And and the venues that you're referring to, are those drinking establishments or are those other kinds of things? Like the
2: the fitness center I work out at.
6: Yeah. Yeah. So that's not a drinking establishment. Mm -hmm. So the, the Colorado law is specific to drinking establishments.
2: Fascinating. What about bigotry? Is that something if that guy came in and got bigoted at the bar, do you 86 him?
6: Yes. Yeah. Our bartenders are really good at uh cutting people off if they've had too much to drink or um if they're loud and and insulting asking people to leave and 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 we are by the way i mean i have i've been at this for a year and a half now and i would say there's been at least two dozen times when we've called insisted that someone not drive home and we have call an uber and pay for an uber for them Uh, so we're pretty we're pretty on top of that Um, and and my eyes i'm here most nights not all but most and i'm pretty my antennae are up for misogynistic comments um for bigotry so what about what what about
2: if somebody contends barack obama really isn't an american and and comes up with the birth of bullshit
6: well you know if if they're espousing that in the. You know, calm and intelligent way, you know, and someone else is saying that's bullshit and and that's ridiculous and uh, it's been proven otherwise. uh, That conversation can occur, and just because of that conversation, we would not be inclined to kick that person out. Um, uh, I'm sure that they would.
2: Yeah, I'm sure there there would be some resistance.
6: Right. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. That's that's what it's all about discussing things, but sometimes you can go over the line, and especially when it comes to bigotry, we've seen what happens. And honestly, uh, I wanted to talk to you because most people remember Allenberg Berg for the way he was killed. I used to listen to him on the radio, and he was fascinating. And sometimes I'd get so pissed on Yom Kippur, he'd be working on the radio, and I'm thinking, what kind of a Jew are you to be working on Yom Kippur? And then I'm thinking, Well, I'm driving down Monaco to my shoal. I shouldn't be driving, and who am I to talk (laughs) about who's a good Jew or not? Anyway, he got me thinking, but the sad reality is on June 18, 1984, right after he dropped off Judith Berg, who he went to dinner with that night, he got murdered by those momzers. That's Yiddish for bastards. I don't know if you know that word, Albie, but those bigoted bastards who came to Colorado to kill him, not just because he was in the media, but because he was a Jew. You know who else was on the list? Norman Lear, who just celebrated his 100th birthday, and I watched a TV special for that guy who served in World War II combat missions over and over, yet these people had him on a list to kill him because he was a Jew, and Alan Berg was killed because he was a Jew, and that gets my attention, that gets my antenna up where were you when that happened do you remember that I was awful in Denver
6: day? I was in Denver I was actually interestingly enough uh, I was running the summer camps at the Jewish Community Center and Up in
2: Albert Colorado
6: and uh, yes now you know I, I, I worked County. at the JCC in Denver right. but the camp the ranch camp in Albert I was the director at mm-hmm. that time and I was keenly aware of the vulnerability uh, of campers uh, members and, and, and people who use the Jewish Community Center and myself. Um, so, yeah, it was really a heightened awareness time, just like after 9-11, a heightened awareness. And, you know, anytime there's that kind of uh, 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 hatred, you know, omnipresent hatred, um, I think it's a lot of our attend I go up around that,
2: right? Especially when Allenberg got shot down by an assault weapon today, this week on my podcast with you, I'm covering the murder of Isabella Thalis, whose grandparents were Sephardic Jews, and uh-huh. the wounding of my client Darian Simon, her boyfriend, by a guy with an assault weapon in Denver, Colorado. Yet we had this back in the day with Allenberg, and that's why we passed an assault weapon ban that still stands. Exactly. I, I mean, it, it impacted me. Did you listen, to Allenberg, back in the day?
6: I did. I did. When actually, it's interesting. When I started working at the um, the Jewish Community Center, um, the executive director at the time, his name was Dave Eskenazi. He encouraged me to listen to Allen um, because he was so outspoken and such a uh, anti hate uh, provocateur, and and and. Um, and I did. I did listen to him. And, and I, like you, found him fascinating. I didn't agree with a lot of what he said, frankly. Right. He had a lot
2: of shtick. And I don't know him personally. But I do think that you and I agree that Allenberg was against bigotry. And he would skewer people. It's not that he wouldn't take on a black collar and call them out if they were using race in the wrong way. But I think he had it inside of him that all people are kind of equally flawed or equally blessed. And it doesn't matter the color of your skin or your race or your religion. I don't know. I, I'd like to believe, in. And, and I've had Kevin on my show and Gary Gerhardt, with whom he wrote the book, was a good friend of mine. They wrote a great book about the murder of Allenberg. Steve Singular wrote Talk to Death, which was fascinating. Have you read that? It gives more the the human side of Alan Berg. I encourage everybody to read that book, both books. And yeah, I
6: have, I have not. No, I have not, but I, I would like to, yeah.
2: Yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it to you because you should learn that behind-the-scenes story. And, of course, Judith Berg is somebody I know and respect. And you know what she's dedicated her life to? Fighting bigotry as well. And so we call out bigotry where we see it, and it sounds like the Denver Press Club does too. I know you don't make all the rules, but I think with you and Kevin in charge, it's been going really pretty good, and it's a big job, and it goes all the way back to so far. So far, I mean, I love history, and the Denver Press Club keeps it alive. And even as we're going through new media, let me ask you this: Have you ever put a podcaster in your Hall of Fame yet?
6: You know, I don't think so. Um, that's interesting. You know, so when I first started this job, one of the charges was is to try to figure out well, who's a journalist anymore, and right. and so that's a that's an interesting question. You know, are because you know our podcasters journalists are people who actively. Uh, publish what they write and think on social media? Are they journalists uh, in today's world? So uh, it's, it's a good a good question. And, and I'm looking at the list, and I don't think we have. Now, I don't know that Tina Griego, for instance, doesn't do podcasting as, as well as writing uh, for papers. Right. For the press. Uh, I think Greg Moore... Who's, on, who's in the yes. Hall of Fame might, ha- might have done a podcast or, or so. He's going to do my done. podcast.
2: We talked to the press club the other night. Can't yeah. wait to have him on.
6: Yeah, yeah. So I, I would guess that some of the people in the Hall of Fame have done podcasts. Right. I'm not sure that that's been their primary media uh, avenue. Someday you might
2: get in the Hall of Fame, and you should use this as an exhibit because you are a great <laughs> guest, Albie. I really appreciate it. Again, give out the website if people want to come to the dinner. It could get
6: yes. interesting. Yes, it's uh, org, and go to events and you can click on and, and get it all done in one, one more click to, uh, to spotlight and get your tickets and, and we hope to see you there.
2: Thank you for the kibitz. Really appreciate it.
6: Thank you, Craig. Always good to talk with you.
2: Bye-bye. Michael Bailey, a friend a lawyer, a sponsor, tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life.
4: So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible but then it's an orderly proceeding of things so you know there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined it's all set up so there's it's like the the smooth transition of power
2: that's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey because who should have this it's probably somebody There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days?
4: best way, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to Michael michaeldailylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine.
2: Thanks, Michael. Troubadour, my dog is panting after you. What is it between you and Skylar? I think the panting's unrelated. How are you, Craig?
7: No, he definitely likes you. He
2: smells well, Riley. How's,
7: what's not to like? How's the Sidewinder? Sidewinder's hanging in there. He needs a little help getting up, but um, I have an old dog for all, for all the folks out there. When you he's say, about, well, yeah. He's, four, he's a 14-year-old lab, going on 15. And how long do you expect to live? 50, 60 years.
2: Okay, that's magical thinking. And uh, when you said what's not to like, that sort of sounds like you're Jewish. <laughs> probably did. Shana Tovah. And to you, La Shana Tovah. We picked out a song for the Happy New Year, which is Rosh Hashanah. Do you remember what year it is? 5,700 and something. 80, 83 coming up. 83. We're in the 80s, the early 80s. It's tumultuous.
7: And what is the first? Let me ask you a question. Yes, Craig. Yes. And what is the what is that mark? What happened five thousand seven hundred and eighty-three days years ago?
2: It's the head of the year. Some say the world started. I don't know, but it's kind of uh, the mark of our religion. I mean, being that old,
7: isn't that when Abraham first talked to God?
2: I don't Was know. It that long that's ago? true, huh? Baruch Hashanah, It's the head of the year. Yes. So I think it's a calendaring thing that we came up with, with that lunar calendar that you enjoy so much. I bet if you had to vote on calendars, you would have voted lunar.
7: Yes. Not being a Mayan or an Aztec, yes. I
2: think Right. I would have Although voted. we yeah. do worship soul. Yes. God. Yes, so well. soul. S-O-L. Well. I've been thinking about God, not just because it's Rosh Hashanah, where you have the perfect song, Falling Rain. Do you realize why it's perfect for Rosh Hashanah?
7: Well, I'd like you to explain that well, to me.
2: Well, it's a time for reflection.
7: Rebirth. Rain Rebirth. Rain, is, is, rain is, uh, is...
2: You make your resolutions, right? And you grow them. Rain, and then rain brings make, life, new yes, life. Yes, rain, new life. But it's also sort of sad, contemplative. Yes. Did you like the rain this week
7: here yeah, in Denver? Very yeah, much.
2: Very refreshing. Yes, and you make the allusion to tears being like rain. And when tears fall, they can fall for a variety of reasons. And I attended the murder trial of Michael Close. So much emotion in there. When the verdict came back, you know who cried? Um, well,
7: I would imagine that the family um, would have cried. Right.
2: Yes. Just about everybody. everybody. I was not there, but it was described to me by Darian Simon's mother who said, and even the defendant cried, who had not cried when he looked at the pictures of the damage done by his bullets in the body of Isabella Dallas. And he cried at the end for himself. Other people were crying with relief that they didn't have to go through another trial, that this part was over. Mm even the prosecutors got teary-eyed because it's emotional to do these cases. Yeah. And I might have cried if I was there, but the guy who got to me, our guest this week, Jake Pucci, oh my God, Troubadour, he is something else, 25-year-old now. He was, what, 23 then? And he saved Darian's life.
7: That's fantastic, yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to hear his, his story. And I I I admire him very much. For going out there, you know, that's the thing is that, you know, in our day-to-day life, you don't expect things to happen. And so there's a lot that can, that, that, that can stop you from jumping to when, when action is, is required, right? And in this case, right. he, he ran outside and tied a tourniquet and did what he needed yes, to do. Yes, and got other people, people to help. I guess I'm saying it's easy to say, oh, the medics will be here or someone right. else will call or this or that. He
2: saved a life. What a powerful thing to do. Yeah, you'll love this interview I'm worried about our lives with Putin. He is going nuts. Iran is in turmoil. The world is roiling on Rosh Hashanah. Give us words of wisdom, Troubadour, and tie it to your song Falling Rain.
7: We do the best we can, each each of us individually. And I, you know, I tell I tell the girls, I mean, sometimes they're overcome, overwhelmed by all of the sadness. And, um, and, and, the, and the hardships that many people are going through and that our planet is going through. It can be depressing. And you can feel like nothing you can do would make any difference. But I think if all of us do the best in our own lives, every day, and um, that, that there's got to be change for the better. I mean, that focus, focus on our lives, our friends, our families, and, and, and making those connections.
2: You are wise. What a great father. Let the rain renew us. Listen to this beautiful song by our troubadour, Dave Gunders, Falling Rain. Thank you, troubadour. Shana Tova and Shabbat Shalom.
7: And to you, Shana Tova, Shabbat Shalom, Craig. trying. She said no need to keep pretending. Sometimes in love got to find your happy
2: He's a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you?
5: I have two dogs right now as well.
2: And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that.
5: So I will write pet trusts, which is, you can earmark, money to take care of your pets um you know a lot of people you know they've got their dogs and they love their dogs but then if somebody were to you know if you're if you were to pass away you know who's going to take your dogs who would who would love your dogs as much as you do i don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do but like i grew up with dogs and so if i were to pass away then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs so when you set up a pet trust you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well.
2: I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that?
5: It is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and, you know, meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them.
2: And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them?
5: Yep. And i deal with traffic so you don't have to.
2: Tell us how people can get in touch with you.
5: My direct phone number is 720-394-6887. Or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule. You know, there's a book an appointment link on, this, on the website.
2: All right, Michael Bailey. Thank you. Hey. I have some exciting news. I am starting my brand new law firm. It's attitude, mine. The legal skills, mine. The support staff, incredible. Find us online soon at craigscoloradolaw.com. Find me right now on Twitter at CraigsColorado. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims, Hey, did I promise Big Show? I think I delivered. Jake Poochie, here's to you, man. You saved Darian Simon. You saved the world. Albie Siegel, thanks for coming on. I respect the job you do. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens on October 8th. I wonder if Judith Berg will attend with us now. She really doesn't like Peter Boyle's, and neither do I. For obvious reasons, I don't like bigotry. I do love Dave Gunders. He's the opposite of that. Great man, great musician. Love that guy. I appreciate the opportunity to present the Dan Politica deposition so you can size it up for yourself. See what you believe, what you don't. And you can give me feedback on our website. We're here every Saturday morning for you. This has been a special episode 116 dedicated to Isabella Thallis. gone way too soon. Let's figure out how to stop these things from happening. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show, tell a friend, rate, subscribe. Those Apple podcast reviews are mighty nice. Five stars. Love that. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.